I am Earl Holland. Welcome to a special Sports Refuge podcast episode where we feature the teams that didn't make it to the NFL playoffs, which we call the other guys. Of course, in this presentation, we will feature interviews with fan reps from the following teams that just missed a cut for the playoffs. Vidi Veradarajan representing the New York Giants, who just missed out on the NFC East. Friend to the show, Matthew Lang, representing the Dallas Cowboys, who are on the outside looking in as well. Looking on to the NFC North, David Krause will talk about the Minnesota Vikings. In the AFC East, Daryl Davis will discuss the Miami Dolphins, who just missed out on the season with a 10-6 record. In addition to that, diehard Las Vegas Raiders fan Kenny Brown will talk about the team's first season in Las Vegas, as well as what expectations he had coming into the season. And now, here are the other guys. The New York Giants, they are right now sitting at one of the records that people would be sort of dumbfounded to believe. Five and ten, and they are vying for that last spot in the NFC playoffs. It's a three-team race, and it's going to be interesting seeing that the Sunday night game and the two biggest games are going to be a bunch of under 500 teams fighting for a playoff spot. And here with me to talk about the Giants is someone who's been on this show before, who's been on a full-fledged podcast. It is Vinny Veradarajan. A lot of you guys know the all-time winningest a player in Sports Jeopardy history. And it's great to have you back, Vinny. How are you doing? And what has it been like seeing how the NFC East has been struggling? Hey, Earl. Thanks for having me on. I uh, hope you're doing well. And hope you had a great Christmas and uh, New Year's. Um, it's surreal. Like a 5-10 and 10 team going for the playoffs. And uh, part of me is excited about the fact that they have a shot. Part of me is also like, oh my God, this is a terrible decision because if they go to the playoffs, they will think that what they're doing right now with the GM is in the right direction. And I think if you pull most Giants fans, I think the biggest problem that they have with the team right now is a direction under Dave Gettleman. And so does a potential playoff berth guarantee that Gettleman saves another year and has another draft and does it again? Because like, I think all Giants fans are pleasantly surprised at Joe Judge. I think most people were like, who is Joe Judge? And another Belichick assistant. How many of them actually succeed in the NFL? And to everyone's credit, like he's had the team playing hard. Even in their early losses this year, they were competitive. You know, a touchdown or 10 points less. You know, but they were in every game, except for the last three games. It's been a pretty bad slide, but also Daniel Jones is hurt. So that's another thing a lot of, especially with Dwayne Haskins, I think Daniel Jones and uh, Dwayne Haskins are kind of joined by the hip based on the decision a couple of years ago for the Giants to draft Jones over Haskins. How long have you been a Giants fan and really what drew you to them? I probably started watching football a little bit later on. I think I was like maybe 13 when I started watching football regularly. I think before I would just like wait for football to end so I could watch Futurama at seven o'clock. But my dad was a Giants fan, so I watched a lot of the Giants games. So like, you know, I knew about Michael Strahan a little bit, maybe more from the chunky soup commercials than anything else. And I do remember the beatdown, the 41 donut game over uh, the Vikings in the uh, NFC Championship game. But I really started following in 02 when they drafted Jeremy Shockey. They had Kerry Collins as their quarterback. Tiki Barber was getting really good. Still the following problem. It was like the last, I think it was like the last time they made the playoffs under Jim Fossil. So I vividly remember the loss to uh, San Francisco where they blew like a 20 point lead, something like that. And they lost because of a, of a, uh, a busted snap because the long snapper who had a 20 year great career, Trey Junkin, look him up one day. He like a very good 20-year career, which means nobody knew who he was because a long snapper is usually infamous, not like known in a good way. He came out of retirement for that one playoff game because they were out of long snappers, and he messed up two snaps, including the final snap for a game-winning field goal. 
Giants are supposed to get fat pass interference on that, but the refs didn't see that. And so instead of getting a re-kick, they lost the game. And that was like the final game with, I guess, 49ers with T.O. and Steve Mariucci. So it goes back to 2 So uh, luckily, I got to see the whole Eli Manning era, you know, exit Tiki, enter Ahmad Bradshaw, enter Brandon Jacobs, that whole beast of Giants football. And Giants DNA has always been power running, control the clock, great defense. And so went from Michael Strahan to OCU Minura to Justin Tuck to Jason Pierre-Paul. So yeah, it had some pretty good years. So um, I guess for a Giants fan, it's not bad to have two Super Bowls, you know, in the last, relatively recent last 15 years. It's funny, you're talking about the uh, power running. I always think of those old days, uh, Rodney Hampton, Dave Meggett, of course, yeah. uh, Phil Sims at the tail end before the Dave oh, Brown the Dave days. Brown era. Ugh. A lot of Giants fans also aren't really fans of Daniel Jones. Initially, I wasn't either, just basically because the last time the Giants drafted a quarterback from Duke, it was a disaster, and that was the Dave Brown era. But yeah, the, the Giants DNA, I, I love it. It really hasn't changed too much. And, and yeah, they've had some like strong on passers, but they still rely a lot on the ground and pound and they've, they've had a great run and it, it's good that they've gotten back to that strength. Uh, the defense has really come alive. They've had some good acquisitions recently. I think Blake Martinez was a recent uh, sign. I think James Bradbury was too. So they're getting there on the defensive side, but I think as the season's gone by, the defense has just become fatigued because they're just out there way too much because the offense isn't there to support. And part of it is Saquon Barkley being lost for the year. Part of it is Daniel Jones getting injured. I mean, Colt McCoy, it's a lot to ask a backup quarterback to step up. But this is the NFC East. Everyone has a backup quarterback playing meaningful football this year. This is just insane. Like, I, I think this will be the first time, like, a, a season ends and, like, an entire division has backup quarterbacks finishing up. Like, you know, you've got Dalton in, in Dallas. You've got Jalen Hurts, probably the, the new starter in, in Philly. I don't know. Is Alex Smith, did he count? Did he count as the backup technically? Because the season started with what um, Allen or, or Haskins? Yeah, I think he has to be. Yeah, Haskins was a starter, and the thing about it is that Smith was pretty much a, a scratch for first six weeks or so. It was Haskins and Allen. Then Haskins got benched, and Allen was playing. And I think that uh, Rivera was trying to bide his time with Smith before making well, sure he was safe. It's funny. The only the only reason I thought that Smith like would be okay was the game he came back was against the Rams. And I think maybe it's the third or fourth play. Aaron Donald just like pancaked him. And, you know, it, it invokes obviously the injury to him a couple of years ago, but it, it reminded me so much of Lawrence Taylor on Joe Theismann, you know, in 85. And I think even the announcers and Ron Rivera, everyone was like, for like a few seconds after the sack, everyone just was motionless. Everyone's like, Oh my God. Please get up. And then Alex Smith got up. And I think that was the best thing that happened to Alex Smith, at least in game, is that he just got stacked by the defensive player of the year or, you know, one of the best defensive players, you know, in the league, Aaron Donald. And it kind of showed that he really is back. Because I think that's what it took for a lot of Washington fans to be like, hey, Alex Smith is back. And, you know, the game he played against Pittsburgh was was flawless. He even stole three points by stealing the kicking ball. I think it's shown that Alex Smith is back. But that's the thing, too. As a Giants fan, like, as much as I want to see him in the playoffs, I think it's just not the year for them. I just think that they have no chance in the other rounds. Not to mention, I, I would think it would be great to see Washington after everything that happened with Ron Rivera, obviously, with just in the last week with Haskins, and, of course, Alex Smith, if he can make a start. And I would think that Washington has a better chance – of all the three teams, probably Washington has the best chance against Tampa Bay just because 
Chase Young is amazing. He is definitely the rookie of the year defensively, and he's going to be there for years to come. And to have that, to have him line up against the offensive line and Brady, Brady would be in for a long day. But that's like way far back. But I think with Giants fans, it's it split down the middle. Like, you know, you're going to have your camp that's fine with going into a winning and then hopefully getting in because Washington loses. But I think the other camp is just, I don't know if it'll really help them because it'll, you know, it'll be like a mirage. They'll, they'll think that they're okay when there are definitely um, areas to go through. But it, it's a toss up. What were the expectations coming into the season? I assume that if you were told that five wins under a first-year head coach. Oh, amazing. I, and your like, star running back was lost in the second game onwards? Yeah, I would buy this in a heartbeat. I think it's been great. I think they showed a lot of poise. And I think the, the best win of the season was when they won on the road with Colt McCoy as their starting quarterback. They beat Seattle in Seattle, which they haven't had a good time with. And – they dominated. They played error-free football, and they played hard. And I think a lot of Giants fans in the first month knew that they're playing hard for Joe Judge. You know, Giants fans can look just across the parking lot to you know the Jets with Adam Gase. And notwithstanding the last two games, but, you know, they kind of gave up a long time ago. The Giants are playing hard, and fans really respect that. And I'm sure if fans were at the stadium, they would be cheering. They'd be booing at some point, but they'd also be cheering because Giants fans know when a team is on the rise, and they are on the rise. It's just... I just feel like they're better served by getting a higher draft pick than they are, you know, sneaking into the playoffs because the division's so bad. And yeah, you're hosting a playoff game, but I, I don't know. I, I just think that a six and ten team—that's just yeah. Seeing worst case scenario happens for you know for Washington and Dallas, and best case happens for the Giants. A six and ten team will be the worst team in the Super Bowl era ever to make the playoffs. But you know, weirder things have occurred. Yeah, the Giants, their late owner, Wellington Morrow, when they won the NFC Championship in uh, 2000, maybe the Vikings 41 donut, 41 nothing. I think he 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 said on the field, he's like, "We're the worst team to ever win the conference," and you know, in a few weeks we'll try to be the worst team ever to win the Super Bowl. And the Giants have won the Super Bowl as a nine-win team, which has never been done before. And so, you know, there is that. The Giants, you know, there's something to be proud about being division champions. But I just feel like a 6-10 and 10 team, that's just like, I don't know how I would feel about if I were on a team that's like so mediocre, or the division so mediocre. I mean, like, there's so many better teams. I mean, look at the AFC. Like, there might be an 11-win team in an expanded playoff that doesn't get into the AFC playoffs. Like, and then here you have a team that's won almost like half as many games hosting a playoff game. Like I think the NFL has a great setup with the one exception of, I think like whoever has the better record in like the wild card matchup, even if it's the wild card team versus a division winner, they should host a game. That's one thing I want to change. But anyway, the Giants have to play hard against the Cowboys because Dallas has their mojo going. They played so well the last few weeks. They've gotten back together. I and mean, they've been through a lot of hardship too. Their, their strength and conditioning coach passed away suddenly uh, about a month ago. And he used to coach for the Giants too. Um, and so they're, they're playing very hard. And they obviously they lost Dak. And uh, Andy's gone through COVID. And he is now um, you know playing as best as he is. And you know he's he's playing for, for a contract next year with some other team too. So um even as the Giants fan I don't even think the Giants are the favorite against the Cowboys so they gotta obviously win but it doesn't matter in the end unless you know if Washington loses so the Giants you know the Giants are gonna play hard because it's a it's a division rival in Dallas and as the Jets proved no one's gonna tank on the outside like the men on the field are gonna play their butts off because 
they may not be part of the team next year. They're auditioning for their next job. And so the Jazz will play hard against the Cowboys, and I'll be happy with that result, whatever happens. Was there a point you felt optimistic about the Giants' chances winning the division and making the playoffs? Definitely the Seattle game. I think the Seattle win put them like five and seven. And I think they had a bye week. And so they're five and seven. They had the tiebreaker against Washington. And Sports Talk Radio was, was getting slow. And everyone was like, you know, start spreading the news New York, New York. I think that also reasonably, like most people believe that they had a, you know, horrendous road trip ahead where they played the Cardinals, they played the Browns, they played the Ravens. And I think they got beat by all of them and then they played seattle so seattle was like the one team like you know they had to win one of those games to stay relevant they ended up doing that so that was like the high point of the season you know if they do the i don't know if they still nfl film still does those like team yearbooks but like that would be the high point but now they have to play dallas and dallas is a much better team than when the giants played dallas at the beginning because i think the giants played dallas when Dak prescott got hurt i think that was the game so so much has changed with that team, um, and they're now playing to the strengths of Andy Dalton. So I think the Giants, um, you know, after Seattle, maybe it was too high of an expectation, but I think all the Giants fans were proud that they were playing hard. I think that, you, without a doubt, you can say that. I mean, they're just not a good team, and that's why I just don't think they should be in the playoffs because they're not a good team. But that's not to say they didn't try hard, and they're working towards that goal. At what point did you feel this team is not making the playoffs? Honestly, I think like the next week, I think Joe Judge made one lapse in judgment, I think. No pun intended. Um, he he started Daniel Jones when he was still hurt instead of Colt McCoy during a game. And I think that set the Giants back a little bit. But I also know Joe Judge knows the team has flaws. I, I think the Cleveland Browns game was a really good example where he knew that the team was outmatched. So he's like, we have to be aggressive. We have to, you know, play fire with fire, which was like, you know, instead of taking a, uh, taking the points from a field goal, they're like, we have to go for it because we're going to get like, get destroyed on, on the offensive side with the weapons that they have. So I think maybe in the last two weeks, especially the Ravens game, I think they lost like 45 to I don't know, 20 or something, but they've been outmatched, but that's okay. I mean, that was expectation. Like the fact that the Giants are playing a meaningful game in their last week of the season it's more than anyone could have asked for. And I think the, the franchise is heading in the right direction, but I think they really need to evaluate the GM. Uh, I, I think that's a big thing. And I'm just hoping that this, you know, last couple of weeks where they are doing well, that doesn't get into the Giants ownership where they decide, you know, they, they, they really thrive on stability in the Giants. Like they don't generally change front office quite a bit, you know, Ernie, of course he was there for 10 years, Jerry Reese for 10 years. You know, Dave Gelman's been there for three years. So I don't know if they are going to make the change, but I do think that that would help to have a younger GM who's more in touch with Joe Judge as well, and they can maximize their roster. Looking at the playoffs, the Giants make it in. Who do you think they match up well with? I mean, I like to say Seattle because they beat them, but I also know that Seattle, like a lot of teams, that was a trap game where Seattle didn't respect their opponent. So I think that what's happened in the last few weeks with like the Rams and the Browns losing to the Jets, I think every team is on like an alert that there are trap games and to really respect your opponent. So I'd say the Rams, to be honest, the Rams, because I don't trust their offense with Jared Goff, even if he's healthy. But based on the scenarios, like the NFC East division winner would face Tom Brady and the Bucks, And even though... Tom Brady hates the Giants in the playoffs. You know, the Giants obviously beat the Patriots twice in the Super Bowl. 
I think that the, the Giants defense still isn't enough to stop Tom Brady completely. And so I don't really think there's a team that, that really matches up well against the Giants. They just, right now, they're just a little bit tired on defense and they don't have enough offensive playmakers. Who are you concerned about seeing in the playoffs? I would say every team. Um, I think just realistically the the Bucks because that would be the team they would face first. And then if they somehow got through the Bucks, I, I don't know who would they play next, maybe Green Bay. But I really think like every team right now because the Giants defense can only hold for so long. And I think maybe if you have a fully healthy Daniel Jones and the running there, he can throw the ball, but it's just he just needs to be more accurate. But also – he hasn't been helped. Like Evan Ingram missed a couple, he dropped a couple passes. And so I just think that all cylinders need to be going for the Giants to have a chance. And with the exception of the Seattle game where they, they literally played mistake-free football for 60 minutes, I don't see that happening. And that's not anything against the Giants. I just think the talent level isn't there yet. And, you know, next year with a hopefully a high draft pick, hopefully 100% Saquon Barkley, if he gets back to – you know, if he doesn't get back to 100%, if he's like 75% of the explosive running back he was before the injury, the Giants really, their offense really changes because they have a lot more play actions. They, you know, defend the defense will, will be more on the run. They'll give Daniel Jones more opportunities to pass or even to run the ball himself. So I think right now it's not looking good for the Giants in the playoffs. Do you think that if Saquon Bartley didn't go down so early that basically the Giants could run away with division? What do you think that? Oh, you mean you mean seven wins? That's possible. I, I think it's possible, but I also think in a weird way that helped the Giants because a lot of players have to step up, and so you know it's good to see Alfred Morris playing again. I mean, I I, I miss the days of him driving his Mazda six two six. It stepped up for a lot of other players. I I think also the offensive line got a little bit more of a wake up call. Like, hey, we have to create bigger holes, and so maybe that's a, that's a bigger helpful. And then Daniel Jones, I think I think. In a weird way, this helped his maturity a little better. I mean, he's still making mistakes, but I did notice, like, after they had they lost a couple of really close games where Daniel Jones, like, he was trying too hard. He was making the mistake of trying to save the team on every down instead of throwing the ball away, live to fight another down. He was making those mistakes in the beginning of the year, and, and he's really curved down. Unfortunately, the injuries, like, popped up around the same time he started getting it. So I think in a weird way, Saquon's injury did help the learning curve for for Daniel Jones, you know, like sink or swim. Yeah, I think not having the security blanket of just handing it off to him. Normally, you got to develop your game and just you can't rely on him that much anymore. But looking at the Super Bowl prediction, who do you have coming out of the AFC? Who do you have coming out of the NFC? What is the final score and why? Okay, first of all, I really think they need to put the AFC and NFC logos back on the Super Bowl end zones. I noticed they've gotten away with it, so they, they need to go back to tradition, you know, have the A and the N on the end zones. But for the American Football Conference, I still think it's Kansas City's to lose. Obviously, this is the year where the first round bye only goes to the number one team, and the Kansas City Chiefs got it. I do think they're going to have to play Patrick Mahomes at least one half of the game so they don't get rusty because – I, I know last year they, they were humbled by the, the Texans. They, you know, they were down like 20, 24 points before they got their engine running. I don't think I'll make that same mistake again. And nobody can stop Tyreek Hill. I, I think he's just the quickest receiver out there. Um, if they stay healthy, it's theirs to lose. And I don't think any team in the AFC, Buffalo maybe, but Josh Allen has to prove, he has some demons he has to fight. Because I think he was the worst quarterback I ever saw in a playoff game was Josh Allen and like, 
last year against Texans. He made Neil O'Donnell look like Joe Montana. I don't know if you get the reference, but <laughs> he was that bad. Um, so Josh Allen has a lot to prove, but they, they would be the one team I think could match up with Kansas City, but you never know. I mean, this is 2020. It could be the Browns. Who knows? But uh, I, I put my money on Kansas City. The NFC, I'm praying for a Packers versus Saints NFC championship game because I would love to see one of those two quarterbacks, Breeze and Rodgers, get back to the big show. But the wild card is Brady, I think, because – well, first of all, New Orleans, they're likely not getting the number one bye. I, I think it's probably going to be Green Bay. I know that's going to be Chicago, and Chicago has played themselves into a wild card. I, I still think it's going to run through Green Bay, and, and I think that the bye is going to help this year just because it's one team getting the bye. So I'm going to say the Packers, but I'm also the caveat is whoever gets that number one pick, I think, in the NFC is going to get it. And I think as good as Tom Brady is, and I never count Tom Brady out until the clock strike triple zero. I don't know if it's enough to win three games on the road because Tom Brady, if, if you look at all his success in New England, he's always had the first round bye in the Super Bowl years. Very rarely did he have to play a wild card game. If he did, he never played on the road starting the playoffs. So maybe with COVID, it doesn't make much of a difference. But, you know, a warm weather team playing in cold weather, you know, Tampa Bay is in New England. So I'm going to go with the Chiefs and the Packers because I love offense, 45-38 Chiefs. Do you think COVID plays a little havoc in the playoffs? Some Somebody acts reckless and gets their whole team in protocol and changes the outcome of a game? I do, but I also think that in a weird way, Dwayne Haskins' uh, situation has really resonated with teams. I'm sure every team sends a memo being like, don't be like Dwayne. Like, you know, go to a virtual strip club. Don't, don't, don't go to a strip club. Also, by the way, what strip club is open in the DMV? Because, like, I thought everything here was, like, PPE, like, required. Like, what, where in the world did Dwayne Haskins go in the D.C. area? Was it, like, Maryland or Virginia? Like, where in the world did he go that, that he was able to do that? I mean, somebody you can call and they'll just go there. So <laughs> I, that's what it sounded like. They were they were there in the hotel. The strippers were there in the hotel, but I assume that they're their traveling business. Well, the funny thing is uh, on the side, if you ever get a chance, go like like YouTube, like GQ, Dwayne Haskins, and they did this series of the NFL players, how they spent their first million dollars. I don't remember seeing strippers in there, so uh... – he did save most of his money, though, which is good for him. But I think that experience has probably put it really, like, really um, made the importance of just going into a bubble, locked up in a hotel, so be it, and, and get it done. But I think the Super Bowl's in Tampa Bay this year, so I, I don't know if the players are going to have, like, they might even just do it to the point where, like, the players just arrive, like, a day or two before. They may not even do the whole media week and that whole experience just for that reason to to avoid the contact and things like that. But yeah, COVID's going to play a big role. People on the practice squad and, you know, what happened with Denver this year where they had no quarterbacks and and the Browns had no receivers. So I I think a lot of teams have, in the playoffs too, have been through COVID, like the Steelers, the Ravens, et cetera. So I think every team is battle tested, but that'll be ready. But going back to like what I think helps the Giants next year too is with a lot of teams, there are quite a few players who opted out this year. And so thinking is if they do come back in 2021, that makes your team already stronger. So there's hope, but I still think it's going to be Kansas City and Green Bay. Has there been no bigger city that's been hit by tourism business than Tampa Bay? You lost WrestleMania, you're losing basically people in the Super Bowl, and you lost out a chance to have something in the World, the World Series. Series. I mean, what? Who? who else could have a bigger loss than that? Maybe L.A., but I don't know. 
Well, I was going to say Toronto because all their teams are playing in the United States. I mean, the Blue Jays played in Buffalo, and I think Tampa's actually – well, there you go. The Raptors are helping Tampa out by playing in Tampa. So, yeah, it's a good throwing. I guess you can make all the jokes that the Rays, you know, didn't have high attendance anyway. But, you know, I thought MLB did a great job, by the way, with the bubble. I think that was a good idea. I just hate the fact, though, that they, they wanted that Texas stadium to host because Texas allowed fans in, which I still don't think is a great idea, but – what are you going to do? I will say it would be really cool. I don't think it's great from a health perspective, but I think it'd be really cool if they do like end up allowing some fans into the Bills stadium to see the Bills mafia. You know, this is like a year to celebrate and, you know, they're going to have to do it at home. And there's going to be a lot of ER visits from, you know, the Bills mafia. Before we wrap this up, and I really do appreciate you being a part of this interview, what are ways people can reach you on social media, especially to talk about the Giants? Yeah, no problem. I'm not as good as I used to be on Twitter, but I am exit 130 on Twitter. Also on Instagram, uh, maybe 09. So, but yeah, I mean, Twitter's probably easier because exit 30 is easy, 130 is easier to say. But uh, yeah, I'm trying to get back into Twitter. I think it's kind of let go, but I appreciate you having me on your show, Earl. It's been fun to listen to your podcast. I'm really happy for you. I know 2020 has been a, you know, mostly a down year for everybody, but I hope you've had some happiness come this way. You know, we need a little bit of like a, a light in a year of darkness. So um, I'm hoping good things for you in 2021, Earl. Honestly, I'm hoping for Washington to win the NFC. So, you know, I think uh, it would be nice. I think everybody uh, it, would be. Yeah, no, it's, it's going to be fun. I mean, look, it's a distraction this year for the playoffs. I'm looking for distractions. I'd like to watch the playoffs. I can't wait to watch the Nickelodeon version of the uh, NFL playoff game that CBS is doing. So I want to see like slime or something like that thrown on a player so you know there's not much to look forward to but you know at least there's some stuff uh we get three wild card games on on like a saturday and sunday so it, it was funny we t- when i saw that and everybody talking about nickelodeon hosting an nfl game i'm thinking you know uh, hopefully that joke about dave Chappelle showing up on animal planet really comes true because that would that would pretty much make the the rest of this disastrous year you know let, let's help it work out them boys they are fighting it out for the final spot in the playoffs basically anybody who's going to win the nfc east is going to be what i think the final spot of the nfc playoffs and the nfl playoffs in general and here with me to talk about the dallas cowboys is a longtime dallas cowboys fan sometimes he 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 gets a little embarrassed i am but if you aren't a true fan you don't get embarrassed by your team at any point and then just swear off of it and come back then you're not a true fan this is matthew lang someone you've seen on the show before a past guest and i'm glad to have you on the show matt how you doing I'm doing good, man. Glad to be here. Glad to be here. Hey, thank thank you for taking time out of your busy schedule uh, to talk about the Cowboys. I know things have been very crazy this season for them, especially at one point, just like many of the teams in the NFCs, they were thought left for dead and then find a way to resurface uh, in, in the spot, especially when you have four sub-500 teams playing to determine who's going to win it all. It's funny how mediocrity often, you know, is like a – like a, that cockroach you can't kill, you know. <laughs> That's what it is. You know, you have four, well, five, four teams in that division. All of them are bad, and they just hang around, hang around until you know you take that 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 shoe and just kill it, <laughs> tap that head, you know. <laughs> and it's funny because any other year, if Arizona was in this division, they walk away with it easily. Oh yeah, I think any other halfway decent team will walk away with it easily, but you know. I would say this, you know, the, the Cowboys have uh, shown some resiliency this year, and um, especially after lose, losing um, Dak Prescott. So, you know, I am kind of proud of what they've done 
since then. So yeah, um, we'll see. Tell everybody the story. What led you to become a Dallas Cowboys fan, and what was the attraction to them? Uh, you know, I was born in, in Texas uh, so many years ago. So, you know, my father was a, you know, just like, you know, uh, what Luke Skywalker said, just like my, uh, my father before me, you know, was a Jedi before me. My father was a Cowboy fan. I was a Cowboy fan. Uh, my brother was a Cowboy fan. He uh, he, he left them a few years ago. Uh, I am a um, reluctant Cowboy <laughs> fan because, you know, they're still in my heart, but. I just can't quit them, you know. I, I I I want to, but I just can't get you know, can't get them out. But I just I've been able to talk. I've been a Cowboys fan. So. Going into the season, expectations, new head coach Mike McCarthy. Uh, <clears throat> what were the expectations? What were you thinking? Especially able to retain Amari Cooper. Washington was trying to lure him over there. Going into the season, what were you thinking? I was not optimistic. I was not happy with them uh, uh, re-signing Amari Cooper. I, I don't think he's a dominant number one. And I was very happy with Michael Gallup. And then you're going to, uh, with them drafting C.D. Lamb, you know, I, I wasn't happy with it. But, you know, especially with Sunday's game, it shows you how dangerous all three of those guys can be together. So, I, I mean a little bit of crow when it comes to that. I was not a Mike McCarthy fan. I was not expecting a lot. And, you know, truth be told, I'm not a huge Dak Prescott fan either. You know, I don't believe in paying a franchise quarterback $40 million. doesn't make sense to me, you know. Your favorite memory as a Cowboys fan, I, I can imagine, growing up right in the heyday of them, there's so oh, many good indeed. ones. Indeed. You know, Emma Smith, Michael Irvin, Troy Eggman, uh, <laughs> you know, Jay Novacek, Daryl Johnson. I mean, I can – back, you know, growing up, that's when we were used to – uh, get the football, the trading cards, and you know, I I knew everybody on every position and all the backups. My favorite memory of all three of those Super Bowl wins. I remember watching all those games. I remember um, just cheering loud. I remember Emma Smith holding out uh, the first three games of the ninety. Godly, was that the ninety two season? No, maybe no, maybe ninety three season. And how we how, how we missed them. I remember um, the Redskins were killing the Cowboys in the third quarter, and Troy Eggman brought us back, and we won at at um, at FedEx Field. I mean, just so many memories, especially with, in this dynamic Dallas versus Washington, and living in DC area, you have these great memories, and they, they always they're just there. So, being a Cowboy fan who, who lived through their heyday in the '90s, you really got some great memories. Was there a point in the season that you felt they were going to make the playoffs? Or was it just because looking no. at everybody else in the NFC East? Because no, no. Even when they had, uh, um, I think the low point was that Thanksgiving they lost to the Redskins. I lost the whole thing, and uh, this team doesn't deserve to go anywhere. I was ready for a rebuild. I wanted them to fire Mike McCarthy at the end of the season. I wanted them to just totally go through a rebuild. But this is the frustrating thing about being a Cowboys fan. There's always these expectations, whether they're real or realistic or not, that the Cowboys are going to always compete for a Super Bowl. So they never do a rebuild. And I was hoping, I was hoping that we would just do a, a just start fresh, take our lumps for a couple of years, and start over again. And may, and I still kind of feel that way because even if we get into the playoffs, let me rephrase that: when we get into the playoffs, if we play the wrong person, we're going we're going to get destroyed. But if we play who I think we're going to play, if we make it in there, 
we might do some damage. Are you looking at Tampa? Because that looks like mathematically that might be who I, in the plan. I think the Cowboys can beat Tampa Bay. I think their their defensive line is as nasty as it was the last couple games. Tom Brady is a dead man. I really do. Yeah, and it's interesting. The last person I had on Vinny Varadarajan, who's a Giants fan, said they don't want to see Tampa. But, you know, it all depends on who the team is that, that gets in. Who who knows? Mm-hmm. Uh, Dallas could want to see Tampa. Who knows what Washington fans think? You, you never know because those are the, those are the only three teams that have a valid thing. I, the, I mean, <laughs> yeah, the red, uh, Washington, you, you mentioned the Washington team. Those are the only fans more deluded than a Cowboys fan. <laughs> Apparently, you haven't lived near Philly. <laughs> <laughs> Too sad. <laughs> were you worried that the Cowboys weren't going to make the playoffs? I know it's sort I'm of not uh, worried. I mean, I didn't. I mean, at that point, I was like, we deserve what we get. I mean, when you when run an organization as badly as the Cowboys been ran, um, maybe the last five or ten years, we deserve what we get. I was not going to be crying in my, my milk if the Cowboys didn't make the playoffs. I wasn't worried about that. I am pleasantly happy that they might have a chance to win. I mean, pretty much if they win, they're in, pretty much. The Redskins play the Eagles, right? I have no faith in the Redskins. <laughs> that quarterback carousel that they, they, they have. So, you know, it was pleasant to be able to be put in this situation. It's interesting that talking about the, the whole division – Pretty much every team has had a backup in, and by the end of the season, it might be every backup playing because of the insanity. I guess that's, you know, parody. I don't know. I mean, that's, I think this shows also the NFL, there's a lot of poor talent evaluators in the NFL because there's no reason why. And the Cowboys got this one right, though. You have a quarterback. The quarterback is supposed to be the most important position on the field, right? Why don't you make sure that you have a capable backup? You know, the Cowboys did it right, having Andy Dalton. They're paying him, what, $7 million a year, but look what happened. Prescott got hurt, you bring him in. The Giants, Colt McCoy, I mean, really? You know, the Eagles, Wentz, you can't be mad that they're they bringing another quarterback. If you don't have a capable backup, your, your season is lost if something happens to your starting quarterback. And I think that's what really affected the NFC East this year. Bad quarterback play, and there hasn't been – uh, in some of the teams, they haven't been any capable backups. Which is interesting because three of the four coaches have been head coaches who've been to the Super Bowl, which you'd <laughs> think they would have known how this goes. Again, I don't think Washington was expecting that their their rookie quarterback would completely implode. They thought he'd actually work, but, you know, them the breaks, I guess. That's true, That's true though. Again, bad talent evaluator. You know, you're picking this kid. He's a big, he's a slow, big-arm quarterback. First thing he does when he gets to the Redskins is uh, he gets his own clothing line, you know, <laughs> have these trademarks. I mean, the, the warning flags were up with him, with this guy. They picked him anyway. And, I, and then you bring in a uh, a mediocre head coach. Ron Rivera is, I'm sorry, is a mediocre head coach. Was mediocre with the Carolina. Cam Newton uh, covered up a lot of his sins. Bring him in. And what does he do? He wants to have the veteran in. A veteran, I, I read an article. I was looking at somebody who said something in the article. Maybe it was one of somebody that was replying to one of your, one of your posts or something. I don't know where I saw it. But saying that um, you had um, Alex Smith. Do you really think he was mentoring uh, Dwayne Haskins? I don't think he was. I think he wanted his job back. And I mean, so you throw that all in the mix, you got an exploding mess. And I think that's what it is. And if this guy, this kid had talent, Dwayne Haskins, 
why are you going to cut him? If you got talent, why cut it? You're not paying anything for him for the next couple of years. Yeah, it's already against the cap. But the other thing is this, Smith, it was sunk cost because previous regime signed him to the ridiculous thing where you cut him. It's still, it's like cutting Carson Wentz now. You're mm-hmm. still stuck. You're in 40 million in cap purgatory and it's yeah. not going to help you any. And you might as well at least ride it out. But why not? Keep Haskins. You're not going to get off the bench for the next two years. Next two years, we're riding with Alex Smith. Let him learn from Alex Smith for the next two years. And Alex Smith knows he's not going to lose his job for the next two years. Why not do it like that? I think Rivera did not want Dwayne Haskins. And Dwayne Haskins gave him the ammunition to, to, put, to, you know, to get rid of him. I think it's a sad situation all, all the time. I don't know if you want to talk about Booker McFarland's uh, comments. But uh, <laughs> I think it's, a, it's an unfortunate situation when three coaches aren't really satisfied with your style of play that that's a problem i mean and when snyder basically went a full jerry and picked haskins against the wishes of his people that's true but but the question is though who are these three coaches well at least out of two of the guys who, who who didn't think they highly went to the Super Bowl. So, I mean, Callahan and Rivera, but Jay Gruden, while no one ever wants to say Jay Gruden was ever right. You have three mediocre coaches who are not very good at their jobs. Ta- evaluating a kid who just got out of college. I'm not blaming Ron Rivera, but he had no he had no patience for Dwayne Haskins. He wanted to win, win now. And then losing to a team that fired him, that was the last straw. So, yeah. I mean, I, I think... We can put all the blame on Dwayne Haskins that we wish, but Ron Rivera is a mediocre coach, and he wants to win now because he felt a certain way about losing to Carolina. I I just think you pick a kid, you have to have some patience. He had – did he have 10 career starts? I think he had 13. Yeah, I think he had 13. I don't think that's enough starts. Was he – did I think he was going to be a great quarterback? No, I don't think he would be a great quarterback. No, not from what I've seen, but – you put the time into it. You wasted a first-round pick for on him. You need to give him some time. Or put him on the bench. You don't need – he's not costing you anything. Put him on the bench and let him learn. The thing was, I thought – I and I said when they picked him, okay, let him sit. McNair sat a year. But then uh, Gruden's hot seat, seat started getting hot. The owner mm-hmm. started complaining because this is what happens when you don't have a good front office that doesn't communicate with the owner. Rivera, mm-hmm. that's the one thing Rivera can do. He can communicate. And the fact that he even talked Snyder into cutting him, that's even more a surprise. Well, why is that, though? If this was any other year, he wouldn't. Have, Snyder wouldn't have listened to Rivera. Snyder has so many troubles right now that he had, I mean, it's what, nothing he can do. Because Joe Gibbs signed off on him. But that's a whole different story. <laughs> <laughs> like I said, Joe Gibbs signed off on, on Rivera, so you can't run afoul of, 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 of Coach Joe. Why are you picking Ron Rivera? What in his pedigree has shown you, oh, you know what, this guy will take us to the mountaintop. He coached in one of the weakest divisions where three of the four coaches have been to a Super Bowl. That's, that's and really, and really out of the, actually, think about it, all four of the coaches have been to a Super Bowl, but only one's been there for a long term, and that's Sean Payton, because uh, Arians went to a Super Bowl. And that division was until the Saints won it twice in a row, no team are repeated as division champs. For like five or six years, it was a it was a mediocre division. He had a team that had a great player as Cam Newton. I'm not going to say Cam Newton was a great quarterback, but a great player, and he couldn't seal the deal. Then I'm sorry if I'm an owner, I'm not getting losers as my coach. If you ain't won a Super Bowl, I wouldn't even think about hiring you. Ron Rivera ain't won a Super Bowl. 
He shouldn't have even been on the short list. I mean, but then again, McCarthy won a Super Bowl and he got hired. <laughs> Just the way McCarthy got fired from Green Bay. I mean, I don't know some of his antics up there. You know, they were lo- the team losing. He up there getting massages, and you know, it, it was a weird stuff going on there. That's my turnover about McCarthy. But he won a Super Bowl. He's a winning coach, so you know, you got to give him that. I mean, I don't. I think in the NFL. And you see this with um, Greg Williams getting a job every year. You see this with the Redskins defensive coordinator, Dario, getting a job every year. You have these mediocre coaches who don't, who, who aren't great at their job, continually getting paid, and they're evaluating talent. If you're not good at your job, how do you want to evaluate me at doing my job? I mean, Dario's a good defensive coordinator, not a head coach, yes. but. Deep- but, well, I mean, I compared to the dregs of the world that have been in <laughs> he is. I Denver, he's somebody who made his name off of one good, one or two good seasons, like Greg Williams, and now everybody thinks he's a defensive guru. But if you look at the stats, he's not. And the thing is, that's why I feel sorry for a lot of these NFL players. You're being constantly judged by mediocre men. Why did Greg Williams have a job after Bounty I don't know. Uh, here's the thing, but uh, the players, I guess, is because the level of mediocrity is far better because the players now, compared to last year, they say he's much better than uh, Minuski, Greg Minuski. Yeah, Minuski yeah, was terrible. Yeah. <laughs> so, well, I mean, but uh, guess what? We Greg Minuski, I bet you he has a job right now in the NFL. I thought it was in college or something. You know what? At this point, I'd like Norv calling plays instead of Scott Turner, but that's a whole different... Norv can call plays. <laughs> and Norv can call plays. He shouldn't be a head coach, but he can call plays. It don't matter. He's almost 70 years old, but he can still call some plays. That's probably why he didn't take the coordinator job, because you know, how far the mighty have fallen that you were coaching here, now you're the offensive coordinator. Mm-mm-mm. Looking at the playoffs, if Dallas gets in, who do you think they match up well with? Interestingly enough, I think they match up well against everyone except for the Green Bay Packers. I think everybody else is weak at at, a position. You don't want to go against the guy guy QB, Aaron Rodgers. You don't want to go against him. Mm -hmm. I think anybody else, there is no other great quarterback in the NFC at this point. Uh, There's going to be an NFC playoffs. I mean, you you want to take Drew Brees. Um, Sean Payton is a fool for putting him back in. I mean, the last two games, you see the man's arm is gone. You know, the Cowboys play against him. They, that's fresh meat. They're going to come up against him. Like I, We already talked about the Cowboys with Tom Brady. I think they can take the Tampa Bay. Uh, the Bears. Uh, you got Mr. Trubisky. I mean, he, he doesn't excite me. Seattle. I don't want to see the Cowboys against Seattle either. <laughs> so, yeah, I forgot, I forgot about uh, Lynn Russ Cook. You know, we yeah, <laughs> Russ, I don't want to see any any parts of Rodgers or Russ. But anybody else, I think they match up pretty, pretty well. And that goes to the other side. You mentioned Seattle. You mentioned Green Bay. Who's the lesser of two evils that you, you'd rather not see? Uh, it got to be Seattle. I would rather see Seattle than see the Packers. I think this is Aaron Rodgers' year. I don't. I don't think anybody's t- messing with him. And looking at the the Cowboys and just the way they were able to get themselves off the mat, that's a huge blow with uh, Dak Prescott getting hurt. I mean, some people may dispute that, but think about this: Andy Dalton, a guy who led Cincinnati to some division titles, regardless of how he fared in the playoffs, mm-hmm. uh, made Cincinnati respectable. The odds are he was going to play well, maybe after you know the initial shock of having to come in and come in cold, but. Uh, and after the concussion and everything else, he seems like he's flourished in that Dallas offense. I think so. And it doesn't hurt. 
like I said, I'm having those three great wide receivers and um, having Zeke run hard like he did last game. You know, it doesn't hurt. And then uh, that defense is coming on, too, that, that kind of helped him. So he is making his job easy. He doesn't have to do too much. Looking to the Super Bowl predictions, who's coming out of the AFC? Who's coming out of the NFC? All what right. is the final score? The, the, you heard it here first. It will be the Baltimore Ravens versus the Green Bay Packers. Wow. Makes you feel Baltimore has the firepower to overcome Buffalo and Kansas City and, and Miami. I, this is the thing. They're not going to have to play Kansas City. Kansas City. Whoever plays Kansas City first, whether the team plays Kansas City, is going to take them out. Kansas City has been has been living dangerously the last three weeks. I don't know if you've been following their game. Uh, Atlanta should have beat them. It's something that's not right with, with Kansas City. Miami, I, the Ravens can beat Miami. The Bills, the Bills. That's good. that would be an interesting game. But I will take uh, Lamar over uh, Josh Allen. And I think they have the defense to slow down uh, Stephon Diggs. Um, the Steelers, they, the paper champions. I'm not scared of them either. You know, uh, they, they're terrible. You got, um, you know, Mr. Roethlisberger, who is, uh, you know, he's a, yeah, <laughs> uh, he needs to retire too. But the only other team in the, the AFC, I think, that can challenge, other than the Kansas City, they're still a good team. But I think that they're going to be taken out before the Ravens. I wouldn't want to see, uh, the Ravens don't want to see the Titans again. I mean, Derrick Henry is a bad man. It's going to be wide open. Kansas City will lose the fir- the first game they play. I know they have a bye. They will lose the first game they play. Mm, that's a bold Who's coming out of the NFC? Oh, the Packers. The championship game is going to be the Packers versus Seattle. But Seattle, does not, their defense has been playing very well as of late. They don't have the firepower to stop Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers and Devontae Adams is the best hookup this year. Devontae Adams is a bad man, too. Russell Wilson will keep you in the game, but they don't have a fight. I think what really hurts Seattle offensively is Josh Gordon uh, failing to get reinstated, but they don't have it this year. Who you got winning between Baltimore and Green Bay? Baltimore is going to be a slugfest. 27-20, Baltimore. That's probably one of the boldest predictions. Definitely going to be interesting to see how that turns out. Before we wrap this up, how can people reach out to you on social media? I know, especially right now, people can't do stuff face-to-face. So the only way to go is with social media. I'm on uh, Facebook. I'm on uh, Twitter. as You can at me at Lang's Ambition. And I'm on Instagram, Lang's Ambition. It's going to have Baltimore Packers. You can have me back on here. Baltimore Packers. We have a Super Bowl edition. The Minnesota Vikings uh, challenging in the NFC North. Very tough division as well. Three teams in the playoff hunt. And the Vikings were fighting along with Chicago Bears for a playoff spot. And here with me to talk about the Vikings season and everything that went on is David Krause, a diehard Vikings fan. How are you doing today, David? I'm doing excellent, Earl. How about yourself? I am doing absolutely great. And I thank you for being a part of this. I definitely wanted to know, just being a Vikings fan, what led to you becoming a Vikings fan, and how long have you been one? That's a question I get quite often here living in Pittsburgh. I've been a Vikings fan for about 26 years now. Actually, I'm sorry, about 24 years. I got into football heavily when I was about 10, 11 years old. So 1997 rolls around, and I turned on the TV, and the Vikings are playing. And what stood out to me was their uniforms. They were pretty catchy, and they had uh, Randall Cunningham, who had come over a couple years prior from uh, Philadelphia. 
And it was my first kind of watch of him. I really liked his play. He could run, he could throw bombs, and he was just a, he was an efficient quarterback that was, you know, kind of the quarterback that seemed to be missing for, for Minnesota. So I, I kind of started watching Minnesota at that point. And then 1998, the Vikings draft Randy Moss. And, you know, I, I knew a little bit about his story coming out of Marshall and, you know, the backstage things he had going on. And then I watched him on Thanksgiving versus Dallas that year. Three receptions, 163 yards and three touchdowns. Two absolute bombs from Cunningham. And the third one was uh, like a little hitch, hitch route to the left that he just took to the house. And, you know, that kind of solidified my fandom as a Minnesota Viking fan. And I just ended up just continued to root for them ever since then. And especially being a Vikings fan, what has been one of the most memorable moments? I know they've had a few appearances in the NFC Championship game, but is it one of those or is it something else? So there's a lot of memorable moments, fortunately, probably more bad than good. But um, as far as memorable on the positive side, I'm going to go with two fairly recent ones. First one is the 2012 season of Adrian Peterson, the return from the ACL MCL tear that he sustained the the year before towards the end of the season. Everybody kind of said he was done. You know, even if he comes back, the way that he runs is not going to be efficient. And I had always liked Adrian, even at Oklahoma. So when the Vikings drafted him, it was like Christmas morning for me. And then to see him get hurt and then see him come back and not only come back at a high level, but to come back best running back in the NFL and to come rush for 2,097 yards at six yards a carry, 12 rushing touchdowns, carried that team into the playoffs, won the MVP, last non-quarterback to do so. And to, you know, and that's when they had Christian Ponder, one of the absolute worst quarterbacks I've ever seen in my life uh, for any team, not just Minnesota. That's probably one on my list. Number two, obviously, uh, I'm going to go with the Minneapolis Miracle just a few years back. You know, the play is Buffalo Wright, seven heaven. And Case Keenum calls ahead in the huddle, three receivers line up on the, on the right, the center, you know, hikes the ball, goes out. Adam Thielen's on the left-hand side, and you got Rudolph, Jet McKinnon, and Stephon Diggs on your right. And the ball, 10 seconds left, Minnesota's on their own 39. I, I don't think I have to explain the play. I think you know the play. Everybody knows the play. So Diggs catches the ball. It's a little high. Marcus Williams comes in, diving carelessly, runs into his teammate. Instead of running out of bounds to either end the game or with a second left for the kicker to come in, Diggs ends up stumbling and taking it to the house throws off his helmet and uh yeah we got smashed the next week by philly but that moment just sticks out we play the saints well and that i just absolutely lost it after that those are the two probably i'll go with heading into the season what were the expectations for the vikings i know very competitive division i know of course there's always green bay chicago added nick Foles, and detroit's just detroit but what were you thinking about the vikings chances so, yeah, I looked at the schedule ahead of time, and I thought that nine or ten wins was easily a possibility. But at the same time, I knew the defense would struggle. Just so many offseason acquisitions and departures from last year. Linval Joseph, he's gone. Everson Griffin, gone. And basically the entire secondary, Andrew Sandejo, gone. Trey Wayne's gone. Mackenzie Alexander, J. Ron Curse. And then Daniil Hunter was 
he was already expected to miss at least the first four games of the season with his bicep injury. I didn't expect him to miss the whole season. Michael Pierce obviously opted out before the season even began when we brought him over from Baltimore. And then I didn't expect Eric Hendricks to miss the last four games, who was playing at an all-pro level. Mike Hughes, who was probably the best corner coming into the season, he's been on the shelf for two months. Taking those defensive things into consideration, Anthony Barr, I, I don't know if I mentioned him yet, but you know he, he got out for the season as well with an injury. But those losses up front were significant. And then, you know, we go ahead and trade Ngakwe over the AFC to Baltimore. I knew it would be a struggle. But like I said, looking at the schedule, I, I, Chicago's offense didn't scare me. I thought that, that we could win nine or ten games. But everything that's happened at where we stand today, I'm not, I'm not real surprised. Was there a point you felt the team was going to the playoffs? Absolutely, yeah. I mean, so we started 0-3 and then beat Houston – had a lot of one-point losses, Tennessee and Seattle, or the two that I think of from earlier in the season. But yeah, so I thought that we were headed to the playoffs when we won five of six before the Tampa Bay game. You know, we had won three division games in a row, Green Bay, Detroit, Chicago, but then Dallas was the, the killer loss. Um, Andy Dalton beats us with a throw with, you know, just very little time left. But then you come back and you win the games you're supposed to win. Jacksonville, that was a win. Carolina was a win. And then Tampa Bay, you know, I thought we outplayed them. Dan Bailey misses three extra points and, like, three field goals. But, yeah, it was it was at that point, you know, when we were the six going into the Tampa Bay game that I felt pretty confident. When was that turning point when you felt, okay, they're not making the playoffs? So I, I want to say – the Dallas game for sure. Atlanta, that was a, a big loss early in the year just because they were so bad. I think they were winless when they played us. And But the Dallas and then obviously the Chicago. So we kind of controlled our own destiny. We still had a chance to make the playoffs. I know some things had to fall into place. Arizona had to lose the last two, which ended up they actually lost a couple of days ago. And Chicago had to lose one of two as well. But even before the Chicago game, I, like I said, it was losing to Dallas when we were on that winning streak was really the heartbreaker, in my opinion. Who did you feel that if the Vikings made the playoffs, they would have matched up well against in the NFC? So you might laugh at this, but uh, I'm going with the Saints for sure. Minnesota's 3-2 and two against the Saints, including the playoffs since 2017. And that includes the butt whooping that they just gave us on Christmas. But we always seem to play them well. Yeah, they put up 52, but we still score 33 on them. And, you know, for a Super Bowl contender, that, that defense, if they're giving up 30 plus, that's not going to be good enough. So, yeah, I was comfortable, you know, like I said, Minneapolis Miracle, even going back to 2007 or 2008, rather, the playoffs, you know, when Brett Favre was there. And, you know, I thought we out the Bounty Gate game, we outplayed them. We, we go into overtime, we, we had that game won multiple times so yeah I was, I was comfortable you know I don't I still feel feel that Drew Brees is not 100% feel like he's you know he's missing some arm strength and Zimmer always seems to blitz him well and I think that we would have probably assuming we had some guys back we would have caused them some problems who do you felt that the Vikings would not have matched up well with so I'm thinking two teams Seattle usually always plays us well and it seems like they always have luck on their side in the playoffs so that's one and then I'm looking over at Tampa Bay you know only because of you know the juggernaut that they have offensively you know Jones getting healthy now and you know obviously Tom Brady is Tom Brady so 
with his pedigree winning all those Super Bowl rings in the AFC, he's not the top priority as far as quarterbacks goes that I would want to see come playoff time. Looking at Kirk Cousins, especially he signed the contract a few years ago, I believe a three-year deal. Really, really, really huge money. How do you sum up the Kirk Cousins experiment and do you see him continuing in Minnesota? So that's a good question I've gone back and forth with several times. I think one word would be underwhelming, but, you know, I didn't have huge expectations with him to begin with. I thought that he was what he was in in Washington. You know, he's kind of like a, like a Tony Romo, Matt Ryan, gunslinger type of guy that's going to get stacked. It's not going to step up and, and make the plays to win you championship games. I thought that Case Keenum, after the Minneapolis miracle and after the, you know, the Philly game in the NFC championship, I thought that he had done enough in that one season to warrant another year coming back to Minnesota to start instead of shipping him off to Denver and then bringing in Cousins, you know, with this crazy contract. Uh, But as far as your, your question on Cousins, he hasn't been horrible. I mean, you look at the stats this year. Yeah, his interceptions are a little high. He's got 13 picks, but a lot of those are tipped passes from the receivers or just Hail Marys at the end of halves or towards the end of the game. It's not like, you know, he's just throwing pick six after pick six. His numbers this year are actually very, very solid. 3,900 yards passing. He has 33 touchdowns. He has a very good completion percentage, and he has a just under 104 quarterback rating. Those are solid numbers, you know, against some top teams. And, you know, the offense in general, I have no problems with this year. But yet the offensive line's not perfect, you know, but the receivers are, you know, probably one of the best duos, if not the best duo in football. Cook is, you know, probably the best all-purpose back right now in football. But yeah, and then the answer to your other question, yeah, I, I think they'll I think they'll probably try and draft and, and try to get some guys back healthy next year and 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 see what Kirk can do. Maybe they Maybe they draft like a quarterback third, fourth round and, and put some pressure on him, kind of like what Green Bay did with Jordan Love. But uh, I, I think he's he's done enough to, to warn another year in Minnesota and, and to try and get this team over the hump. But I, I do think him, both him and Zimmer are on the hot seat. You were talking about the wide receiver core. So do you feel like the trade of Diggs was beneficial? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I love Stefan Diggs. You know, I'll always be a fan of his. I, I don't know what, what went on in the locker room in Minnesota. Or, you know, it, it seems like articles I read recently, you know, he was just a little disappointed that, you know, they seemed like Minnesota was a run first team and you know, he could have had a lot better numbers than what he did. But it seems like Buffalo is a better fit for him. He's having a career year, obviously. But I, I think, you know, Jefferson is is equally good and probably maybe he's probably a better deep threat than Diggs is. And he has, uh, I think, 70 receptions for, you know, over a little bit over 1,200 yards and seven touchdowns with a game to go against uh, Detroit here. So I think it was better for Minnesota because, you know, they got that pick to draft him and they got younger and, you know, he's playing on a rookie contract. And but like I said, I do miss Diggs and he'll always be remembered for the Minneapolis miracle and um, always kind of root for him. Looking at the prediction for the Super Bowl, who do you have coming out of the AFC? Who do you have coming out of the NFC? And what will the final score be? So this won't be any surprise to you, but I'm going with uh, Kansas City. I threw around Buffalo a couple times. I wouldn't be surprised if Buffalo can get there, but I just think, you know, and Kansas City's defense, I'm not even crazy about. They have a couple of studs, you know, Chris Jones and, you know, the Honey Badger back there and and decent linebackers. But, you know, other than that, like, there's some vulnerability there defensively. But, 
for teams to catch them offensively, you know, you shut down Mahomes. I mean, you got you got Bell and Clyde Edwards, you know, who's going to be coming back. And just, just too many receivers that have 4-2 speed. And then Kelsey's just unguardable, you know. You shut down Kelsey, I mean, you, you got to have three guys back there with Hill. So I, I can't see any team that can keep up with him in the AFC offensively. So that, that's why I'm picking them. Um, NFC is a little bit more of a challenge. I think most people are saying Green Bay or New Orleans, but um, I don't usually make beginning of the season predictions. You know, just too many things can happen. Um, but I had actually made one this year, and I had said Kansas City over Seattle. Seattle, again, I'm not crazy about their pass rush or their defense in general. I think Jamal Adams, you know, has helped them a lot, though, in the secondary. And I think, you know, Russell Wilson is, is you know, other than maybe Rodgers, he's the, he's the NFC's Patrick Mahomes and, he, and he's proven. He's done it in the playoffs before. Lockett and McCaff are, are legit receivers. David Moore is a good third option. They have good tight ends. They have Carlos Hyde and, um, you know, Chris Carson and, and solid running backs. It's just going to be a tough offense for anybody to to keep up with. So, with that said, I'm going uh, Kansas City 34, uh, Seattle 29. So, I think it'll be a high-scoring game, and I think Kansas City will pull it out in the end. What are some ways people can reach out to you on social media? Talk about the Vikings and really what they could do and need to do for next year. Yeah, absolutely. I'm uh, I'm always down to talking about football, especially my uh, Vikings. I can I'm a big social media person, particularly on Facebook and or Instagram. Facebook name is just David Krause, and uh, my Instagram name is Krause Daddy. K-R-A-U-S Daddy. I am on Twitter, although I'm not super active on there anymore. I kind of deleted the app off my phone just to kind of save space and just because I wasn't real active. I do have a Twitter account as well, but Facebook and Instagram are my, are my two main sources of uh, social media. Daryl Davis, a diehard lifelong Miami Dolphins fan. Thank you for coming on the show. I know especially there's got to be a lot of excitement heading into the playoffs, and especially these final weeks before the playoffs begin. What really is the excitement like for you right now? It's wild. I, um, a year ago, I didn't see us in this position, so I'm happy to see that we are so close to actually getting in and hopeful that we can keep this run going. How long have you been a fan of your team, and what led to that draw of being a Dolphins fan? Uh, gosh, I've been a fan of the Dolphins for about 30 years now. Um, actually, no, scratch that, almost 30 years now. It was probably around 90 four that I joined. Uh, I started off as an LA Rams fan, mostly because uh, Flipper Anderson used to play for them and he was a local guy up in Jersey. So I kind of followed him, loved the team. When I actually got into football, probably around 94, then something about like Dan Marino and the way he threw the ball just captivated me. So I started following him and loved the team ever since. To you, has there been a huge memorable moment as a Dolphins fan? Ah, gosh, we've been horrible the last 20 years. So it's kind of hard to really have a lot of good memories. But most recently, I guess the biggest memory that sticks out in my head is December the 9th of 2018, the Miracle Miami. Just watching that play just unfold in real time was just wild. And I remember just like jumping up and down as we're laddering the ball back and forth and we got it in and won the game at the end. So that was that was pretty big. What were your expectations coming into the season? I know second year under Flores and, and a lot of tough games. I know there was a little bit of optimism, them taking down the Patriots and things like that last year. It seems like like clockwork, there's always a Dolphins win against the Patriots when you least expect it. And it always seems like that's been happening a lot more consistently over the past few years as well. 
Uh, this year, they've already exceeded my expectations. I saw us getting eight wins. Like, honestly, last year, I didn't see us even getting the five. So I knew we'd do a bit better this year. We're already at nine. And just to see that we have a shot at the playoffs has been more than what I could have expected. So we've already gone past that. I also expected to see Tua hop in. I thought it would be later on in the year, but he's been balling out since he's been in there. So, yeah, I'm just hoping that we can continue to see some good play out of Tua and our defense continue to do what they do was there a point in the season that you felt optimistic about the dolphins playoff chances right now <laughs> uh, like i said honestly i try to keep my expectations low but right now knowing that we are so close and that it really is in our hands if we went out we're in then that gives me some pretty good hope I mean, even if we lose then we still have a shot at getting in i'm just looking forward to seeing what these next two weeks actually have for us was there a point you were worried that the Dolphins weren't going to make the playoffs. Right now, I know they have their fate in their own hands. (laughs) Yeah, again, honestly, right now, um, it's in our hands. Again, if they can ball out, if they can beat the Raiders and then the Bills, then we're in. But I know it's going to be a tough task because each team is going to still try to spoil as best they can and keep us out. So, like I said, I'm just looking forward to these next two weekends. Looking at the playoffs and and the situation Miami is in, who do you feel like the Dolphins' best match up with? For this year, I think one of our best matchups is probably the Cardinals. Like, I love watching that game. We had to come back and take it out, but I feel like we actually did pretty well considering you got Kyler and D-Hop on the other side. We we still, we shut down D-Hop for, I think, what was it, maybe 30 yards all game. So to see us actually do pretty good against that offense was kind of surprising. And when it comes to the AFC, who do you think, if you facing a first-round opponent, be it Buffalo or Pittsburgh or maybe Indianapolis or Tennessee, depending on who comes out of the South, who are some of the teams that you feel like those you have the best chance to knock off? Right now, the way Pittsburgh's playing, I'm hoping we get <laughs> we get Pittsburgh because these last three games of them losing have been just wild. And obviously, as a Dolphins fan, it's good to see that they didn't get the perfect season. So I would love to go up against them first off. But chances are we probably have the Bills first. And the way they've been playing this year is going to be kind of a tough, tough task. Now, who's the team in the AFC playoff race and the playoffs that you're hoping you don't end up seeing? Again, the Bills. Uh, Like I said, they're division rivals. So, of course, I know it's going to be a hard game no matter what. Anything can happen any any given Sunday. But, again, the way they've been playing, it's been kind of happy for them, actually, because I remember back in the Jim Kelly days and they haven't won the AFC East in, what was it, 25 years? So to see them actually get it again, is, I'm happy for them, but I'm looking forward to seeing Miami kind of take, take that crown again and keep it going down in South Beach for a long time coming. And I know it was interesting. There was a note that before the Bills won the East, the Colts had won the East yeah. more recently <laughs> than the Bills. And that's very interesting just to see that, especially since the realignment occurred. Uh, wow, it's been a while since they did the realignment, but just to see that and it looks like it's probably the permanent changing of the guard in, in that division, whether it's going to be consistently someone else other than New England, or whether it's going to be Buffalo and Miami fighting it out. You don't know. Yeah, I admittedly did not mention the Jets because that that's, that's a ways to go. I mean, but then again, I think you guys saw the progress and the rebuild and, and you guys went quicker than than expected. But it all depends on if you have the right pieces in place and, and down in New Jersey for the Jets. I mean, Jets, at this yeah. point, I, I mean, I always think about the Madden games where the Giants were always New York and you know it was the insult that they made 
the Jets, New Jersey, just to differentiate. It's not like they had in every other sports game, New York A, New York N, nothing like that. They didn't do that. They just New York and New Jersey. Pretty much, yeah. And uh, I definitely agree. Like the Jets have a long way going. Um, looking forward to seeing what kind of quarterback they draft in the first round because you know that's almost a guarantee it's going to happen. Yeah, they've got a couple years until they can do anything. The Pats, you got Belichick, who you never want to count that dude out. So you never know what's going to happen. Um, yeah, the change in the guard, the Bills are going to be it for a bit, but I'm hoping that Miami kind of takes that crown right back in the next year or two. So we'll see what happens. I know that, as we mentioned before, that sometimes a Patriots assistant becoming a head coach doesn't always end well. The most recent example is Matt Patricia in Detroit. We look at Bill O'Brien and in Houston and, you know, some of the past examples, even Josh McDaniels in Denver. Was there apprehension about the higher Flores? At first, I think so, because obviously, like you just said, I mean, you got Patricia, you've got several others who just haven't really done much of anything. So Flores coming in, he sounded like he'd done pretty well for himself in New England. Um, I'd hope that it would translate well, but I think his time as a scout also kind of helped him be a pretty good judge of players as well. So he's translated that into working pretty well with his guys. And this year alone, I mean, watching the way that he's come out in defense of his players, especially in that un- unfortunate brawl that happened but he was ready to to get kind of get into the mix of everything just to make sure he's still with his players so that is always something i love to see in a coach and he's been calling the right plays so i'm kind of happy that he kind of was so far the good apple to fall from the tree and especially his youth it, it really helps as well i feel like sometimes you get these guys who might be a little older you you know it could you could have got a, a charlie weiss type guy as opposed to you know as, as you did yeah. i mean and even then bill o'brien still had this reputation especially coming from penn state after a little bit of time in new england but I, you know i think the youth also helps as well because as long as you're able to relate to him i mean but then again don shula was able to relate to guys especially 30 years younger than him so i mean it can go either way it all depends on how well that coaches can handle, as they say, not the X's and O's, but the Jimmy's and Joe's. Yeah, that's very true. Now we get to the big thing, the Super Bowl prediction. Who do you have coming out of the AFC? Who do you have coming out of the NFC? And what will the final score be? Honestly, I got to play it safe and say Chiefs and Saints, they truly do seem like they're currently the best teams out of each side. I would love to see the Packers be the one that, ones out of the NFC because I would love to see Aaron Rodgers go for another ring potentially but that's my assumption i would i would love to be a homer and say miami's gonna go all the way but i kind of tend to be a little more realistic with my pick so chiefs saints 30 27 chiefs over saints and it's a surprise a lot of people have been picking the chiefs coming out with a couple of exceptions it's been pretty much chiefs and the afc but it's been sort of half and half with New Orleans and Green Bay as the favorite to come out of the NFC. In your mind, is there somebody in either conference that could make some noise, that could shake up things in the brackets? Maybe not advance extremely deep, but really knock off a favorite. Uh, the Dolphins, I'm playing, I'm joking. <laughs> no, honestly, uh, honestly, the Bills, like I said, they are 
doing a lot better than I thought they would. Like when the season first started off, they were having you know some good wins. So, you know, they haven't really fought and beaten anyone serious, but they've kind of proved me wrong. And I wouldn't be surprised if they did some real damage in the playoffs. I don't want to say that, oh, they're going to win the Super Bowl just yet, especially being an AFC East fan. I don't, I don't want to see that just yet, but I wouldn't be surprised if they kind of came through and did some real damage. And I don't think they would face the Chiefs until the AFC championship game, considering the current seating order. But that would be an interesting game to watch. Before we wrap this up, just wanted to know if you had, you know, any shout outs for anyone, any social media where people can reach out to you, especially talk to you, or if you got anything to promote as well. Uh, shout outs, nothing at the moment. Like I said, just hoping that Miami continues to surprise me and do amazing. Hopefully, too, it keeps interceptions low and this line blocks pretty well to keep them healthy. I want to see that defense continue to ball out get more and more interceptions every single game keep that streak alive social media you can find me obviously on facebook daryl davis twitter my username is vince dies v-i-n-c-e-d-i-e-s uh that's the two main ones i use right now so yeah i was curious about that how did the vince dies uh handle come up (laughs) Vince Dyes is an inside joke. Um, it was a mixture of two different names that um, I had went by back in high school just for a couple of my friends and everything. So kind of went the Vincent and then the um, the Diesel part, kind of put them together. And Vince Dyes came around, it's kind of stuck. So I kind of use it for, actually, I guess that's another thing. If you guys play any gaming, anything, I'm Vince Dyes on really anything you can imagine. Xbox, PlayStation, Steam. So look me up, friend me. I don't really care. Go for it. Here to represent the Las Vegas Raiders. It is Kenny Brown, someone I went to school with at the University of Maryland Eastern Shore. Thank you for coming on the podcast, Kenny. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me, Earl. I appreciate uh, doing this for you, man. I'm looking forward to hearing your thoughts and opinions on this, especially this first year in Las Vegas. Yeah, definitely exciting to hear them going to Vegas. I've never been to Vegas, so I know the first game when I plan that trip will be for me going to Vegas, so that's going to make everything out of that trip for me. So what led to you becoming a Raiders fan? So being here in the, in the Washington, D.C. area, my pops was stationed out on the West Coast in California, San Diego. And San Diego is really Raider country. So um, during this time out there in the Navy, he had that mystique, you know, in the 80s and everything like that. And when he uh, got stationed over to Norfolk is when he brought that whole Raider mystique. So that, that was his team. And, you know, when you were a little kid, you know, Far as back as I can remember, it's 1990. I'm seven years old, and I'm supporting the team that my pop support. You know what I'm saying? So ever since then, I fell in love with the Raiders and been a fan ever since. So it's what we've gone, what, over 30 years? <laughs> and that's the toughest thing. You never find people, especially our age, saying, I've been a fan of this team for 30 years, especially as a kid. You like seeing what's cool. And it's easy to jump on a bandwagon of somewhere else. I always tell people, I've been wow. uh a struggling Orioles fan for years and struggling Redskins <laughs> fan, Washington football team fan, depending on what you want to call it, for years. And I think the biggest thing is the longer you stick with them, when they have their biggest successes, it's the sweetest moment you can ever have. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So what is the most memorable experience you have as a Raiders fan? Was there a particular game? I know there's so many different games, good, both good and bad, that you can remember. But what is the biggest a memorable moment that sticks out to you? I would say, like, probably before 2016, I would say the year we went to the Super Bowl. I never seen my team actually compete in the Super Bowl, so that season was pretty much memorable. But if I could think of a memorable moment, I'm a guy who I, I go places, I plan trips and around the rate of schedule, so I, I'll go on a road game. And this particular time, it was 
the New Orleans Saints in 2016. It was actually my sister's birthday weekend, and it was the NFL season opener. And that game, we had so much ups and downs, mixed emotions and everything. And I just remember the way we won the game was so dramatic that when they kicked the field goal, it was basically Derek Carr and the Raiders came back. We was down by a big, big deficit in the second half. And they came back, mount the whole comeback. And when we scored a touchdown in the fourth quarter, we went for two. And it was either you go for two and we connect and, and we go by one point. And when we went for a two-point conversion, we won. And basically what happened was they drove us down the field and they got into the red zone. And I'm sitting here like, Kim, like my sister, I'm like, yo, we go about to lose on your birthday because we in the red zone. The guy kicks the field goal and miss it. And it was this big Raider dude behind me the whole game. He was a big, strong Raider dude. And and I turned around to dap him up and he crying. Like, <laughs> so it was just... So many funny things happened through that moment, but that was the best Raiders game I've ever been to in my entire life. What were your expectations coming to this season? First year in Las Vegas, Gruden getting another year back under his belt as a head coach, especially after being out for a few years. What were your hopes for this season? What were you thinking? I was hoping for a wild card appearance. I really was. The way they came out against the Saints, again, I felt as though we could win at least 10 games. And I felt the way... Derek Carr looked comfortable. He looked more comfortable than last year. And, and I felt like I expected us to at least go get a wild card position. Was there a point in the season that you felt that this was a lock? Playoffs was going to be a guarantee? Nah. I knew coming into the season, our defense was young. And they're coming in in the first year. It's going to take them a couple of years to learn the scheme. And any playoff team does have to have some type of uh, strong presence on the defensive side of the ball. I knew that was our Achilles heel all season. Was there a point that you felt that, especially with the success they were having, that that this might be a mirage, that we might get close, but we might not make it? Yeah, when we were six and three, we were six and three last year, and this year we were six and three. And when we lost that game, I forgot what team it was that we lost to. I've seen every game, but the team that we lost to, I'm like, oh, here we go again. And then the next week we lose again. And I'm like, okay. And then we had that game against the Jets and everything like that. So it looks like it was the same thing that was happening last season, happening this season. And then the Lux, you know, with the COVID, that's really been killing my team, the COVID. Like a lot of starters been out on both sides of the ball, which which hurts the chemistry with the, with the team and things like that, going into week in and week out in preparation for uh, – the upcoming games. And I think especially you look at the situation with the Broncos where they basically had to put a wide receiver quarterback just because of what was going on there. I mean, it, it always could be worse when you look at it in that situation where you right. have no one capable to start. But again, it's easy to say that, especially in this weird, weird time where everybody's getting hampered in sports. In the situation, the Raiders making the playoffs. Who do you think they best match up well with in the AFC playoffs? Ooh, that's a tough question. I really believe we were built to beat the Chiefs. I really believe if, if we wasn't injured or things like that, people going in and out of the lineup and whatever happened with our defensive coordinator and our defense and stuff like that, I, I really feel like we're the only team this season that beat the Chiefs, and we almost beat them twice. And I think that they don't want to see us. I really believe that, you know we're built to beat the Chiefs. I think matchup-wise, we could score with them. We could do anything. We got... Weapons on with Waller. We got uh, Hunter Winfro, the new kid, the rookie, Henry Ruggs. 
who, who could stretch the field. On the defensive side of the ball, I think we're just as weak as the Chiefs. Chiefs don't really have a good, strong defense. So I just think it's just a matter of going touchdown for touchdown with uh, Patrick Mahomes and them. And I, I think we can keep up with them. Who's the team you don't want to see going into the playoffs? I know you mentioned the Browns, but could it be them? I know right now the Steelers are struggling. Miami's a wild card. There's plenty of other teams that are on the fringes, but who's the team that you would least likely want to see in a playoff matchup? Tennessee Titans. I thought last year they were going to go to the Super Bowl. Um, I do not want to see the Tennessee Titans in, in the Super Bowl. I do not want to see uh, Derrick Henry, um, Ryan Tannehill was playing. I mean, since he left the Miami Dolphins, he looked like a whole nother player. And with uh, A.J. Brown and and some of those uh, guys on the defensive side of the ball, man, I really think Tennessee is a – it's a good, solid team. Looking at this season, it's the first season in Las Vegas. When you heard the news that the Raiders were moving from Oakland to Las Vegas, what were your initial thoughts when you heard everything was going down? My first emotion was I never could imagine the Raider brand being outside of California. It was weird for me. When you think of California, you think about football, you think about the only team that ever bought that state of Super Bowl, and that was the Raiders. So I think California is the Raider brand. I think it's more fans in the state of California uh, for the Raiders than it is for the Rams or the Chargers and things like that. But it was kind of weird for me. But at the same time, it was exciting, new beginnings, and it's a perfect reason for me to go to Vegas. <laughs> when looking at your prediction for the Super Bowl, who do you see coming out of the AFC? Who do you see coming out of the NFC? And what's the final score? I would say the Tennessee Titans. I'm going to pick them again to come out of the AFC. And... They'll go against, I'm even thinking Aaron Rodgers or Drew Brees. Um, I'm going to go with the Green Bay Packers. They've been more consistent, I think. And it will be 38-31 Titans. It's interesting. You might be the first person who didn't pick Kansas City to come out of the AFC. I'm a true believer in all season long, the way you win games is the way you end up losing games in the postseason. And being as though they only lost one game, but... They haven't been blowing out everybody. They've been playing in shootouts and things like that. And I just think their luck is going to run out once they get in the playoffs. And plus, I'm a Raiders fan, so a Raider fan will never pick the Chiefs in the Super Bowl. <laughs> I always see the playoffs are always a crapshoot. Doesn't matter. Any time in a short series, I'll say it's the equivalent of baseball. Short series, anything can happen. All it takes is one big thing to change the uh, momentum, and that's it. Yeah, that's it. I mean, that's one thing about the playoffs. You never can predict the playoffs, man. You want to go home. It's not like the NBA. You lose and you got another chance to redeem yourself. Kenny, what way can people reach out to you? I know you have a podcast as well, and I want you to be able to give that a shout out as well and, and tell people about it. Yeah, Bar Drinks and Entrees is my podcast, at Bar Drinks and Entrees, like the hat. You can definitely check us out. We have a YouTube channel. You can just, you you know, search us in, in the search bar YouTube. We're on Apple, Spotify, Anchor, Google, all audio streaming platforms. But it's, it's basically taking the concept of, you know, when you go to a bar and, and you're sitting down after a tough day or whatever, and or just, you know, you're just going to the bar and got a few drinks and, and you find yourself in good conversation with people you don't know. And that's the concept of the show. We, we bring people on our show. Me and my other co-host, James McCray, we bring guests on. Some of them may know each other, some of them may not know each other, but we do things, icebreak things, and we talk about topics like sports, or we'll talk about relationship, social issues, anything that comes up in the bar. And that's the whole concept of the show. But 21 shows in, shout out last episode last week. But um, you can follow us at At Bar Drinks and Entrees. Also, you can follow my personal 
account on Facebook, Kenny Brown, or uh, Instagram at Kenny underscore B83. I always have to ask, especially people who, who do podcasts, what was the toughest thing when it came to starting a podcast? Getting started. The toughest thing. Me and my uh, co-host talked about starting this whole podcast for a year and a half and we ain't done nothing. And then one of our good mutual friends sat us down and, and had a heart to heart with us. And we started to be about it more so than talking about it. I mean, this is what we went to school for, Earl. You know, the crew, we all went to school for journalism at UMBS. So this is a piece of cake for us, man. I'd like to thank everybody for listening to this special episode of the teams that just missed a cut in the chase for the Lombardi Trophy. Next time, my guest will be author and the founder of the website Recruit University, Cortez James. We'll talk about his experience becoming a football coach in the Stephen Decatur football program in Berlin, Maryland, before expanding to becoming an author and writing about how kids can get recruited to the college level. As always, you can find episodes of the Sports Refuge wherever podcasts are heard, or you can go to the Sports Refuge website, www.thesportsrefuge.com. Until next time, this is Earl Holland saying thanks for listening and have a good one.